Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit MDGamblingHelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Anyway, she goes to bed. I open up a box out of Barbara's. I light up. I call myself a cognac. Uh, and I watch the 14 fists of McCluskey. <laughs> what a picture. Yo, homie, that my briefcase? And start asking the right fucking questions. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a very special overdue rum and rant. Uh, I'm your host, Blake Howard. Firstly, if you're supporting One Hit Minute Productions on Patreon, I love you. Thank you so much. Um, it's an immense help. You have no idea, um, uh, you know, even the small amount that you might think uh, you're contributing for our continued raft of projects. Um, I just want to say thank you. Uh, I want to give you guys a really super sneak peek. Um, first up, we have an a massive increment vice episode dropping on Christmas Eve Australian time and kind of like on that right borderline, it'll be like late Christmas Eve Australian time. Christmas Eve, the United States time. Uh, and the band is back together uh, for something pretty special. So you must listen to that. Um, second exclusive thing for our guests, um, really quickly before I introduce my guest, is Alexi and I, uh, you guys haven't even heard the episode yet. You might hear this before you even hear it, is we did one of our Imprint Companion episodes um, uh, in our big line of serious disc agreements. You guys would hear our physical media show we do for One Eight Minute Productions. And Alexi, because he's a comedian and is hilarious, um, just introduced me and us as the Blues Brothers, as in Blue, B-L-U, rather than Blue. And it's so fucking good that the show's rebranding. So in 2022, a serious disagreement will be the Blues Brothers. Um, you're hearing it here first before I've even announced it because I just, it's too fucking good. Like it's, it's so good that I feel dumb that I didn't think about it. And I want to credit Alexi Toliopoulos, who's my... Amazing co-host and hilarious film mind uh, and, and all-around funny guy uh, for that. So you guys will be hearing that. So what's been happening occasionally in Rum and Rant is I hear something in the news, um, the the very weird periphery that I hold and occupy online, um, often me talking about movies that are way older than are out, etc. cetera. Um, I occasionally see things or hear things, and we've done this before uh, where I've heard a podcast about a film that, I was so excited to hear about it and was so kind of like overwhelmingly disappointed that I was like, I want to, I'm going to give the world the do over of this because it's annoying. Um, so 
The film in question is, of course, JFK, which has been popping up because Oliver Stone's brand new four-hour, I think in Australia it has now been split into like four bespoke parts that originally was conceived of as this gigantic, um, all-encompassing follow-up to his amazing 1991 um, Academy Award-winning film, JFK. And so people have been talking about JFK again. And what an excuse for me to talk to one of my favorite human beings in the world. Um, he's a fantastic author. His book, She Rides Shotgun, is simply unputdownable. If you don't have it, it's the best stocking stuffer you can get for someone who loves crime fiction. Um, secondly, his amazing newsletter, jordanharper.substack, um, which is uh, Welcome to the Hammer Party, also one of the greatest named newsletters of all time, um, is available for free and gives some of the most amazing advice. And some of it I've taken. So his follow-up books, which are coming out next year and the year after, Last King of California, which I have read and everybody knows, um, are 22, 2022 and 2023. Jordan is here to talk with me. He's like my Mr. X to come back and talk about JFK. Jordan. Thanks for having me, Blake. It's oh. great to be back in the saddle with you. And oh. it's great to talk about uh, one of the great movies of the 90s, in my opinion. And, easily. Uh, easily. And, and uh, you know, I don't know which direction you want to start in because the, you know, there's a lot of different areas that you can run into this, but I just, truth aside, I just that's, for a second. That, that's exactly where I want to start. Great. <laughs> truth aside, this is one of the most phenomenal exercises in the use of cinematic language in the history of film. It is a, uh, you know, the depth of the tackle box, the depth of the toolbox that Oliver Stone reaches into to make this film. I really have a hard time thinking of anything that comes close to it in just the breadth of its technique. Um, I made a list. <laughs> um, okay, so this is obviously it uses uh, dramatic scenes, montage, um, you know, intercuts, um, obviously I have all the basics of like acting, writing, sound design, the amazing score. Um, he's using different film stocks. He's using stock footage. He's using mockumentary footage. He's using archival footage. He's using meta documentary footage in which fictional characters, or at least actors portraying characters, interview actual witnesses to the assassination in actual Dealey Plaza. So that now, now you're talking about a meta technique he's using there. You've got voiceover, you have flashbacks, unreliable visual narration, unreliable narr narrators. <laughs> um, it's the entire, you slow motion, um, black and white color. Um, sepia? Sepia at one point sepia. for no reason? <laughs> um, and, um, you know, other than like maybe 3D, um, <laughs> it's difficult to think of a, of a film that reaches into more different ways of of telling stories filmically than this movie um and it, it from that perspective it is just a towering achievement um that is precisely why i wanted to talk to you because that was what was so frustrating about listening to some of the recent discourse about this movie it's like people are then wanting to go down and, and litigate oliver stone's impressions of the truth why did he do this why did he make this choice and not necessarily why did he make this cinematic choice why did he make this storytelling you know choice it's but all tied into uh putting the onus on him as a filmmaker and an entertainer to like be a holistic truth teller in this what is colossally a big fuck of people lying <laughs> that's why we're still talking about it and i'm like why are you giving why are you putting the onus of truth on the filmmaker really it's 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 the subject is there's a few subjects of this movie that's like that yeah i i genuinely um so guys are going to listen to an upcoming episode with a great sound designer we did for miami nice called elliot Coretz, and he just talked about something really basic which is sound design for anyone is like Anything in the depth of field for sound design has to be addressed. He's like, just people implicitly expect that anything is in the frame needs to be addressed. So if you see a plane going in the background, even if it's one of a hundred layers of sound that you're hearing in that five seconds, it's addressing that. It's addressing a car on the road. It's addressing maybe a tumbleweed. It's addressing, 
you know, power lines that are, you know, whipping around in the wind. It's addressing a storm. It's addressing this. And I, I just was thinking about one of the scenes you talked about. Just not, It's not even just the whole film. It's scene to scene. The first interview they do with David Ferry, where people are talking about David Ferry and then they interview David Ferry, the, and this is still at the time they're editing on film, the way that they are shooting those scenes, they are having the scenes, they are having people smoking, they're having the rooms, they're having people sit down on leather couches, they're building atmosphere, intercutting between new locations, storms, different kinds of footage. Like just the monumental effort of like not only cutting that way and having everything complement each other, but then the sound design overlay to have a continuity in all these montages that goes on. I was just like, to be a sound designer on this movie, you may want to kill yourself at the end because it's just like <laughs> the amount of work and specificity to keep the continuity and the reliance then on the, the fantastic score. And just, I mean, it's, yep. it's, it's stun Like there are 16 minute passages, which, you know, the, the probably the best of the whole movie, like the X part, which like, that's just a towering piece of cinema. It's just, absolutely. There's just nothing it's- like it. You know, I was thinking about this while I was watching it over the last couple of days, because it is enormously long, um, <laughs> is usually when somebody describes a movie or a TV show as novelistic, what they mean by that is that it has like a lot of characters or it does deep character work or something like that. But I think what really distinguishes a lot of you know fiction from film as a storytelling technique is the ability of, a, of fiction to zoom in and out of time, meaning mm. that you know, in a film, or I'm sorry, in, in a novel, you can spend, you know, 20 pages on five seconds, or you can pass a hundred years in a sentence, right? Mm. Um, so you can, and, and in most novels, you're going to zoom in and out, you know, uh, you're not going to maintain like a real time feeling, which film normally does through either montage or just cuts. But, um, but normally you're, you're much more locked into one kind of time in film. And this is a movie that effortlessly zooms in and out of time and, and in the same way that a novel or that fiction does. And the, the one person who I think lives in this space as well as this movie does is Scorsese. And like, mm. you know, when he's in his casino mode where yes. um, again, it's that, that time dilation where you can zoom in for a second and it, it starts to blur the line, both in JFK and, and in, in Scorsese's work, it, it it blurs the line between montage and scene. Yes. Um, and it is, it, it's absolutely entrancing when it's done well. And that is the thing about this, you know, I've talked a lot about like the idea of, of you're just transmitting a dream and you just want people to be locked in. And I think, you know, the the big filmic set pieces are the Mr. X scene, and then, you know, the basically 45 minute trial scene. Yes. Um, and both of them are just enthralling pieces of cinema. And they do it without, you know, centering the protagonist of the film, which is Nomaly. Um, you know, uh, oh, his name just fell out of my head. Garrison, Jim. Garrison, Carson. thank you, Jim Garrison. But he is really much more of a, uh, again, a kind of a novelistic narrator who is just carrying the story on his shoulders. I do think the weakest part of the film's uh, film is his character work with, uh, you know, Sissy Spacer, given that horrible role as the nag. Um, she deserves better. But, but can I say, in, in such a towering movie, you know how good movies are when there's like a scene where you can just like write it off. You're like, I don't know. But like, you, you can write off their entire relationship in my mind for a line which is like he wakes up in bed. <laughs> he wakes up in bed and like at five o'clock in the morning, the worst like fake sleeping couple that's almost ever been on screen in a history of Hollywood movies. And he wakes up and he's like, and she's like, go back to sleep. And he goes, I've been asleep for four years. It's just <laughs> to get to that line. That whole yeah. relationship in my mind is just to get to that line. And you know what? I've been asleep for four years is a fucking great line. Like it's a it great line. I'm like, you know what? I can override everything on that because it's just all the bad conception of how that needs to get there to that moment but yeah like just like you said you got the courtroom scene obviously you've got the x scene but even just um the there's a great scene where him and his district attorney team have started looking back to the witnesses of the day and they're outlining mm-hmm. what has happened to these witnesses and who's been on what and it's like their team debrief they're gonna have a dinner and 
it's a smoky, crowded restaurant. There's lots of people over-talking with each other. Has an amazing ensemble there all around him, Rooker, etc. And he, I just love the zooming in and out of those times because it's zooming mm-hmm. back to what the what they testified on the day and then zooming them. So many people dead, hit and run, dead in a single car accident, dead, dead. Like it's like the way that it starts to build you up to these moments, I'm just like, there are so few movies that even come close to the intoxicating like levels that this movie gets you to because it's just every single thing is just so unrelenting. It's yeah, no, it's a sing it's such a singular movie. And and I I'm I think the only way to talk about it, to truly do it justice, is to talk like less about the actual truth telling content. Truth aside, I love that. Truth aside, <laughs> let's forget that for a moment and just talk about technique. Like it's just, it's almost peerless. It's almost peerless. I, you know, again, as, as you know, there's that old joke about like, uh, you don't win an Oscar for being the best director. You win the Oscar for being the most director. Yes. You may, you can use that joke for acting too. Now, this did win the Academy Award for editing. And you just yeah. have to assume that all the other editors in town were like, well, yeah. <laughs> like I had some good cuts in that movie, but like we didn't yeah. have yeah. this again, this like insane, you're right. They're editing on film. They're putting together film stocks. There is, there's a language to the film stock choices and the flashbacks that I wasn't quite able to decode about when some of the flashback scenes, and I think they're primarily ones with big cast in it, were filmed like films with in color, same film stock that you're using when Kevin Costner's on screen. Other ones are filmed black and white. And a lot of those are, like you're saying, witnesses turning up dead. I have to shoot out a uh, shout out uh, Pruitt Taylor Vince, uh, who is my one degree of separation from JFK because <laughs> I've worked with, with Pruitt. So always glad to see him show up in something. Um, but, you know, there, there's a language that even though I was actively trying to decode it this time around, I wasn't quite able to say when Stone was making the choice to use black and white versus just film but there isn't i know there's an answer that i just don't quite i i i I agree i agree i i have not been able to decode it myself my thing at the moment is for someone making like if we made a short that was just trying to emulate it today Mm -hmm. and even wrote something that was amazing that we thought we could shoot it do you know how like it's like lazy. We could we could start to mimic those techniques with a button change and a selection mm-hmm. of a clip choice and a collection selection of a filter, and then play around with the cuts and almost start to, um, almost start to like, as long as we could uh, match the rhythm and the beats of the film, you could kind of get pretty close to where they're to what they're trying to do. And and that's um, Joe Hushing and Pietro Scalia who like were the editors. You could get pretty close. Which is then why I reflect and go, no, this is amazing. They weren't cheating. They weren't color correcting. It's not in the computer. They didn't have a filter. There's no, there's no, and, and, and you can't just slow things up and down, like just like quickly on a, on, on a mouse or on a selection or a right click and here, slow that down by X amount of frames. It's literally stitching this thing, this Frankenstein together. And there's, you know, it's like, um, what is it like death by a thousand paper cuts? You know, like it's mm. like how many cuts are just in, how much of this is there, but it's not just, it's not like the Liam Neeson jumping the fence and 13. I was going to, I was just about to bring that up. It's just not that it's something no. completely different. Well, because it's not done to confuse or, you know, um, just add false excitement to a scene. It's done for reasons. Yes. You know, you do things for a reason and you, you're just watching these people weave together the story. You know, there are, I didn't mention this earlier, I meant to, subliminal images yes. in this film. You know, when uh, Jack Lemon and we got to talk about the cast <laughs> at some point, but uh, when Jack Lemon is uh, remembering Guy Bannister beating him up, there are uh, flashes of something that happened so quickly, I was unable to isolate it by scrolling through the scene <laughs> on my Apple TV. So I don't even know what they are, but they are there are images that are thrown up very quickly and it happens a few times in the film. So he's... You know, but but he's making these choices that are so self-assured. And 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 when you think about, you know, the production of, of 
how many things in it. Like they shut down Dealey Plaza and uh, and and faithfully recreated the assassination of JFK. JFK, which again, you just that would be so difficult to do now. Um, Jordan, how many? You know this as a screenwriter too. Um, if I didn't mention that up top, Jordan also a screenwriter, television producer, um, uh, in his own right. How many setups just to get what they needed to get with um, with Oldman as Oswald and with people like Vincent D'Onofrio as witnesses, you know, those calculated mm-hmm. witnesses that they had around. How many setups is that to do in that plaza with full film, with moving extras in the background and the chaos that is surrounding them? There's probably, I don't know, let's conservatively say 60 setups maybe i'm just trying yeah. to think and with like the the guy with the umbrella and yeah. the, the the women who are witnessing it and, and, the, the, and then the, the stair walks and people and walking the, out and then the stuff with oswald actually walking out of dilly plaza and all yeah, those yeah. things and then they brian doyle murphy running yeah and weird things like that so um you've got all those things and i'm like so like 60 setups, that's maybe like three or four days in a place that they're shutting down to re- yep. faithfully recreate this. And they're doing it and they've got them here and this and that. It's just like, I, I can't, I can't even wrap my head around it. <laughs> it's lots of money on film. It's, 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 um, it, it's a different era. It, it's uh, <laughs> like a lot of those nineties films you watch and you go, this was, we didn't know it at the time that this was the high watermark. Yes of you know now they would i don't know probably try and make you digitally recreate a lot of this stuff you know oh they the would fact, it would be like green screen that they, they'd almost yeah. like have a or uh what is it is it reprojection like that that new like mm. in the volumes and stuff like that for mandalorian they're like create <laughs> the footage in the background and shoot you on multiple digital cameras to just reinsert you and make you look like you're part of that footage or whatever the case may be but like i mean and again they're not mucking around when they take people to Daily Plaza. They're taking all these big actors. Like they're taking yeah. a bunch of the principal or in this gigantic cast of people just to shoot. Like, I want to watch you run. It needs to be yeah. you. Can't it just has be to be Brian Doyle Murphy. It has to be. It has to. <laughs> As a full run, which you don't think is like a common thing in Brian Doyle Murphy's life. No offense to him. It's not one in mine either. Um, I do want, you know, I, I don't want to go deep in, in, into like the, the thing that I kicked down the can right away of, of the truth. Yeah. Um, other than to say that, uh, first of all, to go to uh, Dealey Plaza is one of the truly eerie things that you can do in America. Mm. Um, last time I was in Dallas, I uh, I took a cab to, I was in town for BoucherCon, the, the big uh, crime fiction convention. And just in a cab, you know, and then you just come under an overpass and you're going up a hill. And I was going the opposite way that JFK was coming, but still you look up and you see the book depository and you see the grassy knoll and you see, you know, there is an X on the, yeah. on the street, right where the headshot came, which is, a, it's a weird thing. And then the book depository is now a museum. Um, and it is a museum not dedicated to John F. Kennedy, but to his murder. Like it is, you know, the section of the museum about his presidency is very small and they have, you know, there's that famous shot when, uh, when Ruby killed Oswald and uh, there's that guy, the cowboy with like the very nice suit standing next to, they have that actual suit that they have filled out with an invisible mannequin. So there's no person there. It's just the suit filled out with the hat and it's the actual suit and the actual hat placed against a life-size photograph of Oswald being killed. And it's, you know, it is like literally a temple to a murder. It's a strange thing. And here, you know, I, again, I, I promise I'm not going to go deep into this. I, right. I am agnostic about a lot of this. Um, and, and it kind of goes on a continuum between like, do I think the CIA knows a whole lot about Lee Harvey Oswald that they're not saying yes, 100% to like when you get into like the multiple shooters Oswald was a patsy. I start to get very like, that seems uh, Occam's razor suggests that you don't need <laughs> all of that. But the point is, is that there, there were very true things that were happening in America in the sixties that have to be talked about and they have to be talked about in a unified way. Yes. And there is uh, if you thought you were going to have me on a podcast and I wasn't going to bring up James Elroy, <laughs> you were mistaken. Cause this is one of at least three truly great works of art about the assassination of JFK. So there yes. is, the movie JFK, there's the novel Libra, 
and there is American Tabloid, which to me is a good nominee for the great American novel. And it's because it is about this event and the insane things that were happening that again, sometimes the truth gets reported, sometimes it doesn't, but we never deal with these things. We never really deal with the fact that the CIA was actually working with the mafia back then. Um, And we don't deal it. There has to be a counter narrative to the, to the, you know, the overarching narrative that, that we live our lives by. And so this is the, um, the introduction. I'm not gonna read the whole thing, but I'm just gonna read a little couple things from that Elroy writes at the beginning of American tabloid, which if you haven't, if anybody hasn't read it, it's a great novel, but it is about the kind of fixers and dirty dealers and people, the mechanics who, and this is, I guess I'm spoiling the novel a little bit because you don't know they're going to kill JFK at the beginning of the book, <laughs> but it, it really kind of, um, so it starts with, America was never innocent. We popped our cherry on the boat over and looked back with no regrets. You can't ascribe our fall from grace to any single event or set of circumstances. You can't lose what you lacked at conception. And then skipping uh, to the end, it's time to demythologize an era and build a new myth from the gutter to the stars. It's time to embrace <laughs> bad men and the price they pay to secretly define their times. Here's to them. And I think <laughs> like, that's really important. And that's why, you know, first of all, I don't think there's anybody whose politics would change where they to find out what they believe about the JFK assassination to be wrong. Whether yeah. you don't think there was a conspiracy or you do, I don't think it's dependent I don't think it would change anything because people who see the world one way are like, well, yeah, the CIA. (laughs) Um, And other people aren't. And I think, you know, so to me, the fact that it's important for other people to dig out the truth. And I would recommend uh, the podcast blowback to anybody who's interested, particularly in the the CIA, the Bay of Pigs, and how that might have contributed to JFK's uh, death. But that's not what Elroy is doing. Elroy doesn't have to defend the truth or fiction of what he does. No. Um, and also know, and- just on the spirit of recommendations, uh, David Talbot, who actually appears in the new uh, JFK documentary, wrote a great book about the CIA called The Devil's Chessboard, which I strongly recommend. And there's a terrific book by Peter Janney called Mary's Mosaic, which is about uh, uh, JFK's relationship with Mary Pinochet Meyer and her death and the relationship between the CIA and the death of JFK. So that's Mary's mosaic. Mary's um, mosaic. I, I have the devil's chessboard. Yeah, I, I heard both these recommendations and um, Mary's mosaic is, is fascinating. Is fascinating. One of the, one of these other ones that's just great. If you're a, a, a bit of a person who's interested uh, in those sorts of things, I have to check that out. I uh, and and you know I'm very comfortable as as you are clearly like it's important to discuss it as this myth that mm. has to be told. Yes. And, and it's important again to like, that's not to say the truth isn't also important, but that's not what we're dealing with. We, no. we are dealing with, I guess you'd say the deeper truth of the myth of, you know, uh, things change deeply in this country in the sixties. I think that Oliver Stone has a very boomer um, and also a <laughs> Vietnam vet who, yeah. who, to whom Vietnam was, you know, incredibly and horribly formative. He has a very, I would say, rosy view of JFK. Um, and, you know, he attacks it from that angle. I would also say, you know, the other thing that I would bring up at this point is there are things that when you watch his new special, he has dropped from the story. And some of it is very good he dropped because Jim Garrison is actually nobody's hero. No, Jim Garrison is a weird guy. It's a weird guy. He's a weird guy. guy. And his his overarching theory that if this is... a that it was a homosexual thrill killing, which is a direct <laughs> quote from Jim Garrison, is the weirdest part of this novel by far, yeah, or the yeah. not sorry, novel, film, see what I just did. Um, it's the weirdest thing about this film is it really is, it's a homophobic film. Yes. Um, yeah. Where, where homosexuality is equated both with um, degeneracy, but also with fascism. It's explicitly in the, maybe my favorite non-montage scene of the film is Kevin Bacon. Ah. Oh. He's um, just, re, re, he even says it resuscitated his career. It's fantastic. It's a wonderful scene. It's a wonderful scene. scene, but it does truck in, in a, you know, a famous homophobic uh, trope, which is the relationship 
between uh, homosexuality and fascism, which is yes. which um, started, you know, in the in the Nazi era when left wing people and this is not cool, uh, you know, started kind of smearing the entire Nazi party because of Ernst Röhm, yeah. uh, who was an openly gay Nazi who was then killed by Hitler and the Night of the Long Knives. But um, Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit MDGamblingHelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Mini Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. And forgive me, but it's, it's, it's such a great line, um, even though it, it's underlining this. Is he, he makes it very explicit when Kevin Bacon says, the problem with you is that you're a liberal I'm going to mess this up exactly. It's like, you don't know what's going on because you've never been fucked in the ass. Yes. <laughs> and then immediately pivots from that statement to fascism is coming back in a big way. So yeah. he really does. It's, it's a very explicit. It's, 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 it's explicit because he's reading that way. Yeah. I If there's one thing that I can praise the film about uh, in this regard is it, it teaches, it's like an edge. It's like a shorthand for skepticism because mm -hmm. out of everything forget every fact forget every fact for just a moment and just think about this they believe that one person got off three shots from a high perch in the worst possible position to shoot a person coming down Delhi plaza it, unless you were shooting at them straight down that road before they actually get into the plaza itself that's number one mm -hmm. number two is the guy who was a suspect was killed by a guy who was a mafia-connected person and at a time in, like, America's Salem witch trials for communism, a guy went to Russia and came back and just lived his life in the <laughs> intelligence district of New Orleans. Uh, yes. And so even just those facts, forgetting everything else in the tapestry and all the rabbit holes that all of those things lead you down, it's like... It just doesn't, it's really fucking squirrely. And the great thing that the new documentary addresses foundationally, I think is, and the whole, it's the whole episode on it is JFK's autopsy. That is a whole other squirrely thing that is really weird. And there's just, I think that that's what I, if I love everything, you know, the Mr. X education bit, which we haven't really gotten to yet. And there's so many other things, but it's like just that, just that at a foundational level that it was one bullet, it was 10 bullets, it was one guy, it was three guys, like just the level of like, I don't like this. I don't know what it is, but I don't like it. I can't put my finger on it. That's well, what this movie teaches you so beautifully. I agree. And that is where, again, like there's so much that needs to be explicated about the CIA and the 60s and the weirdness and the fact that like Jack Ruby ran guns to the Cubans and then... <laughs> Uh, I read this year, I read Chaos, which is the new book on Charles Manson, where the uh, guy yeah, kind of yeah, chases yeah. down all these different threads. And he, he draws a link between Manson and uh, MKUltra and when the CIA mm. was dosing people with LSD. And then he got to this part where I just had to put the book down for a minute and walk around when he gets to the part where the, the doctor who went and visited 
Jack Ruby in jail and then came out and said, oh, Jack Ruby is totally insane, was a verified MK Ultra LSD mind control scientist. And you just go, man, I know it's a small world, but is it really <laughs> that small? The is world, this just- it just, <laughs> those sorts of things I just go, I don't call me crazy. I'm just like, I just don't, I just don't buy it. I just, and, and the triangulation of Libra and American tabloid and this JFK and then JFK docos that he's just redone and the devil's chessboard and stuff like that. And even something like chaos, the triangulation of weird coincidences. It's just like, exactly. If it was a movie, you'd go, Oh, this is so fucking trite, isn't it? This is just so tired. Why are we doing this? It's like when we found out that Ray, spoilers for our Star Wars fans, she's a she's a Palpatine. It's like mm-hmm. is the universe that small? It's not that, <laughs> it's not that, that small. fucking small. Well, you know, when I was watching it this weekend, you know, because there are inaccuracies in this movie, which again, of we're course. not we're not no. necessarily binging, but I was just like when they bring up the thing that Guy Bannister had an office, and then right around the corner, but it's the same <laughs> building. Lee Harvey Oswald had his free play for Cuba committee office. And I go, well, that can't, that's really, I mean, again, I know (laughs) New Orleans is small, but like really, really. And I looked it up and yes, that is, that is a hundred percent true that Lee Harvey Oswald was working around the corner and technically in the same building as Guy Bannister as right wing, a thug as, as ever existed. And you just go, huh? And that's another wonderful scene in this movie. Just the, the pure cinematic language to tell you this fact. Just down the corner from Guy Bannister is not only a triangulation, but like this, a quadrangle almost, like a, you know, a quad of, there's the entire intelligence community of the United States government operating out of New Orleans right here. And like mm-hmm. within, I don't know, 100 meters is apparently is this weird coincidence about their offices being together and a hundred meters away is the entire intelligence apparatus mm-hmm. in, in like the Southern United States all there. And they all miraculously move after a year. <laughs> and I'm like, right, cool. That's not suspicious. I don't know. I just, huh. It, it huh. is, uh, <laughs> it's, huh. well. it is, um, Again, I, I, it's really important that that historians try and you know figure out all this stuff in real life. But it's also just you have to digest this. And I don't think that it's always this like uh, it's always put upon people that like oh they just want the world to be neat and tidy, mm-hmm. and that's why people engage in conspiracy theories. And I my my opinion is that there are so many unspoken, unsaid, or ignored facts of history that have to be expressed somehow. And you're not going to find a better unifying story for this, all these things than the murder of JFK. You're just not because these things are all tied together. It's like, uh, you know, the Irishman couldn't keep away from it. It's just like, once you, you get into this time and you go, no, the mob and the CIA were engaged in, you know, undermining the Cubans. And they really were planning on killing, you know, Castro. They really did help kill Patrice Lumumba and other people, you know, they really did overthrow governments in South America. And you kind of hear these things, but we still aren't really taught what that means. We're not taught that the, that America very much undermined democratic countries in favor of, you know, uh, United Fruit Company. Um, like, and, and so this, all this knowledge has to be expressed and we have to be able to like deal with it and whether or not a, you know, third shooter from the grassy knoll killed JFK, it's important. It doesn't remove any of those other facts. It's, and, and we have to deal with it on a mythological level, at least. Yeah. And, and it's more about, I think it's about an ethical and moral level. It's like, what are you willing, like, what position are you willing to take? Because I think it's like, as beautiful as it might be to be hopeful and it happens in Australian history too. And it's like, as beautiful as it might be, oh, look at this lovely country that we've got and look at this sort of stuff. One of the foundational things you try and teach, especially when you're teaching history of this country is like, guys, a British force invaded here with boatloads of prisoners that they didn't want in their own country from kind of around 
England and Ireland, just undesirables in their empire. Mm -hmm. They came here and they just divvied the place up like no one lived here and committed mass genocide and murdered like a culture that had been here for, you know, somewhere in the course of 60 to 120,000 years. Um, Diverse nations of different speakers and this whole stuff. And I'm like, do you think that we talk about that? No, we're talking about, oh, being invaded by refugees or this and that. I'm like, no, no, no. We invaded. <laughs> we invaded. We are still, we are like still trafficking the stolen goods of the entire country. So sometimes these mythical forces, as you said, I think it's exactly, it's, a, it's become the landing zone and a prism through which to look at the world um, and yeah. to look at the United States and to look at all those things. Because you like, if you'd had no exposure to that, um, and then the onus is on you to start going and doing some of your own research and making sure that it's like in something that maybe is peer reviewed or maybe is well, w- it's well researched in and of itself, as opposed to just like a YouTube video or whatever the case may be. But it's like, yeah, I, I think that, yeah, I think the myth of it and just exactly as you said, like making it this kind of weird refracting thing that you look through and it just like, it's intuitively dives you into all these you know, these different views that you've got to tie together the way that it does it. It's just really special. Well, no, I, I agree. And again, you know, the, to, to read that first line from Elroy again, it's a, we popped our cherry on the boat over, you know, like, and that this is the story that needs to be told to help us understand that and help us deal with that, that, that if the CIA is, is, is doing these things, they're not, it's not a rogue element. It is. It's what they do. It's what they do and and we have to deal with that and you know again there are books to be written and books that are written uh about that but there also you have to do it with storytelling and i think again that's why i i'll try not to bring up elroy again why i feel like american tabloid might be the great american novel is because it it has the guts to kind of dive into all of this in a way that even libra which is by don delillo if i didn't say that earlier um uh doesn't do it's still a great novel but like um and libra libra is more philosophic philosophically minded whereas elroy has this weird ability and i know that you appreciate it more than anyone but like has this weird ability to be philosophical without ever there's no artifice it's just the Mm -hmm. the philosophy comes out in the how ugly everyone truly is (laughs) you're like you're like oh everyone's really shit right i get it that it makes you think philosophically about the world it's like oh my god everyone's awful well and a thing that i'm trying very hard to 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 learn from him is is the more i read and study him is he turns everything up to 11 or 12 or 13 and by doing that gives you a clear picture of the world Mm. than somebody who just tries to portray things realistically because America and and all the modern world is turned up to 13 and and it just it sings at this higher register that you can hear it cuts through the noise in a way that like you know and and this is my current work that I'm working on is that whether or not Jeffrey Epstein killed himself it's still very important that we deal with that story in a mythological sense, because again, it tells the same story. Yeah. And again, you get to those things of like, well, you know, when they didn't sentence him to jail the first time, they literally said he was an intelligence asset. And we're not, that's like out there. <laughs> like that, that is like a fact that you can find on the internet. It's not hidden. No, but it's but, like the media took a year longer than everyone on the, like it got reported. And then everyone on the internet went berserk with that. And yeah. then like after a year of everyone agreeing, this is it, the media is like, and so he wasn't intelligence asset. And you're like, yeah. We know that's why there's like a thousand Reddit forums because, yeah, because, because we heard that and was like, huh? <laughs> like, I don't know. Doesn't that seem like the single most important thing about his story? I, you know, doesn't that seem like yeah, a thing because, that we ought to like. That, and then here's the next question Who is he working for? Mm, yes. Because if you're an intelligence asset, who owns you? What team are you playing for? Oh, yeah. that's miraculous. It's Mossad or the CIA or both. Or both. Um, you know, there's a, <laughs> this idea that I, like a, a thing I have said before is, is the truth can be a candle. If you think of the truth as a candle, well, a candle can light a dark room, right? Mm. But if somebody else comes in and they put floodlights everywhere, you don't have to put out the candle. You don't have to extinguish it. You don't have to, you know, um, make sure that nobody ever hears it. You just make sure the room is full of light. Nobody's ever going to see that candle. Yeah. You don't notice it because there are spotlights everywhere. And I feel like 
that's a lot of what happens as opposed to this idea that like, well, as long as if we just put the truth out there, it will rise to the top in some way that like, it just does that. And it, that's not what happens. Yeah. Um, I don't know how far down this rabbit hole you want to go. Cause we could talk about the cast too. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's wrap up on the cast because I, that, that other rabbit hole is insane. Let's um, it, it'll take <laughs> way too long. No, but I would just say, yeah, the cast, this is the other thing, you know, obviously my favorite movie of all time is heat. Probably one of yours too. You know, that yep. movie has oh, like yeah. 70 speaking roles, amazing actors across the board. Even people are in there for like three seconds, but there is no movie I've ever seen with more incredible actors just lining up to do 15 seconds at a clip and then walk away than JFK. Like it is just unbelievable. Ed Asner, Jack Lemon, SpaceX. You talked about Brian Murray, Rooker, Laurie Metcalf, Wayne Knight, um, Gary, Gary Grubbs, Pesci, of course, Walter Matthau for like one scene, one uh, scene, John Candy, John Donald, Candy, D Donald Sutherland, obviously Bacon. We've just talked about, um, and then like we get, but like uh, in 1991 or 92, I walked around saying Gary Oldman is the greatest actor in the world because he played Lee Harvey Oswald, <laughs> Dracula, and then his role from True Romance, uh, Drexel, and just like, well, that guy, there's a guy who can do literally anything. Yes, he can just literally can do anything. Yeah, exactly, um, but I just. I can't get enough of, I can't get enough of people like Sutherland in this movie. I can't get mm. enough of John Candy in this movie. And the, like Tommy Lee Jones, yeah, a guy who is just not famous for doing anything even remotely in this wheelhouse is like bombing around as Clay Bertrand, who's like such a fascinating and interesting character. And you're like, God, this is just this is wonderful. And then like the way that the scenes fold together of like, then you get a bacon and Pesci and Gary Oldman and Tommy Lee Jones scene where mm -hmm. with those guys. And then you're like, Oh, there's Ed, Ed Asner and Jack Lemon. And there's like Costa just on a plane with Walter Matthau. And just, it's the yes. ands of how many of these great people get in a room together at different points is just truly special. No, it is. It's it's ridiculous. And what is Vincent D'Onofrio doing in this movie? He just Vincent like no, he's like just one. He's one of the people they're interviewing who talks yeah. about the the gun being fired behind his head, and that's it. That's, that's it. it. He's just was he? Did he have a free weekend in Dallas? It kind of feels <laughs> like he just happened to be there, or well, or something. Maybe know? it's just maybe it's Stone going like I need to get you know the guy from the other biggest movie about Vietnam. Um, mm -hmm. in my movie, because it just feels like the osmosis of <laughs> Kubrick. You got to have the triangulation of Kubrick and, uh, Coppola and, and Oliver Stone. Cause the, the Holy Trinity of Vietnam movies is platoon full metal jacket and apocalypse now. So if you can triangulate between that, those, any, anyone who's across those things, um, is, is something pretty special. No, it's, uh... that's true. He's, he's just, it's, and it's, you're right. It's an alchemy. It's uh, <laughs> the way that like, there's clearly like something strange and magical about actually filming in, in Dealey Plaza, which I kind of alluded to earlier. And, and there's just all of these layers upon layers. I just, uh, I don't want to go too long on you here, but like uh, I was really paying attention during the opening montage, which again is all archival footage, but it's very carefully selected. And like, if you'll note, you know, when he's talking about the civil rights movement, it's um, RFK, MLK and Malcolm X. Yeah. Uh, their faces just pop up. Nothing's made of it at the time. And you're just like, oh, here are three other uh, people who were murdered um, in very <laughs> questionable ways. I, you know, the, if we'd had Twitter when this was going on, the world would have exploded. Um, I'm 100% sure of that. But just imagine, can you imagine, like, even that's another person. It, what's so funny is that there are lightning rods at this time. And it's like almost if you pick any one of them, RFK, everything obviously that happened in his life and then he's mm -hmm. murdered. MLK, everything that was happening in his life and all the people that were surrounding him, whether it's Medgar Evers or whether it's Malcolm X or whether it's whatever, like the entire, you know, the entire apparatus that's around him. Um, and then LBJ and all those things and who he was directly interfacing with. And then Malcolm X, who's like Spike, you know, made his myth, he had his mythological shot at it. Um, and then Michael Mann with Ali has his mythological shot of the sixties mm -hmm. and it's about the FBI fuckery and it's about, you know, the political machinations of the United States messing with dictatorships because it's in our best interest to do so. Um, mm -hmm. and so, yeah, I, I feel like you, you, you literally throw a dart and you're going to hit 
you're going to hit one of these kind of impressions, one of these mm-hmm. things that you're going to do. But um, oh, I just, I I can just can't get an I can't get enough of like, I can't get enough of like. Um, we were worried about an election. You know, elections yep. took over our whole life for a year. Four of those guys dying in like two years on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, it would be the. Uh, the heat death of the universe would have come from all the posting. Um, no, it, it's, it's, it's insane. And, and, you know, just last month, New York times ran an article about how, Oh, they, they have to pardon one of the guys who got convicted for killing Malcolm X. Cause they had it wrong. And the, the article says there is no evidence that there was any kind of police or government collusion with the assassination. And yet the same article said there were undercover cops in the room when it happened. Well, is that not contradictory at least a little? Like, isn't that just I like, think the most important three letters of this entire chat is H-U-H. Huh? <laughs> like, what? Huh? Like, huh? Just thinking, uh, this is such a small thing, but it, it's something that tickled me a lot. If you rewatch that opening montage, when they introduce Alan Dulles, um, it's, in a, it's in a clip where Alan Dulles is standing next to JFK and reaches out to shake his hand right as jfk turns away from him and it's like this weird awkward moment that was obviously very intentionally there's a lot of seeds planted in that opening montage yes again showing the other murdered people showing alan dulles getting slighted by jfk like and it's not anything that's highlighted and i've watched the movie i don't know how many times and not ever noticed that before it's just there are so many things and you know again like you could do this amount of time that we've been talking just about the mr x scene yeah and the, and, the, the Mr. X scene, like it was the, it's the scene that law launched Reddit. I'm sure someone thought of Reddit immediately after they'd seen that scene. Like they didn't know how to make it, but I'm like, the Mr. X scene is, is Reddit. It's like, we were doing this, we were doing this, we were doing this, we were doing this. Mm-hmm. And, and, but then it asked the most important questions, like, like the most important questions actually for critical thinking when it comes to any even conspiratorial thought, which is like. Qui bono? Who benefits? Yeah. It's a lesson that literally I live my life by when I, you know, especially I was worked for many years in the corporate sense. And sometimes I would have to teach my peers and stuff like that. If I was ever coaching anyone about this, you know, a challenge, whatever, I'm like, qui bono? Who benefits? Who benefits from this? Is it like, who, who, who's going to benefit from this change? Who's going to benefit from this? Yeah. The other people, even for sim- something simple as like, you're going to have to lobby that person. If you want to make a change, who's going to benefit from the change? And if you don't know who benefits, then you need to figure that out because you can't, you've got to get them on your side. And so, yeah, who benefits from this and who could make it happen and who could cover yeah. it up? Yeah, exactly. And, and, and it is also just, I mean, again, I know we've covered this a little bit. It's a masterclass in, in, in filmmaking. A lot of times people will tell you exposition is boring. You can't, you don't overload people with facts. Um, and a lot of that has to be given to, to Donald Sutherland and his performance, which is he's literally given a long list of facts to say and, and, que- and rhetorical questions that don't have answers. And, and you just, his voice is so compelling and he just treats it like it's the most serious thing you could ever talk about. And, and you're just, you're awash in it. And it, and you are so deep in, into that moment with, and again, it's just this masterclass and in, in what cinema can do where he's just, it, like it, it's it's the worst and the best because it's the worst because then when you see two people doing expository dialogue and that's not to say every movie has to stylistically feel like JFK, but it's like, look how good exposition can be if yeah. you let the cinematic language tell you how the story needs to be told, you know, to use a flashback, to use this, to use that, to use a very deliberate voice, to use a great delivery, to give someone these great mounting outlandish hypothetical questions and Mm -hmm. the way that they address it almost like ruins and so much of the great dialogue and the great exchanges and the great interviews and the great interactions of this movie i I think some people might have been daunted by it but i feel like it's a movie that people should study of like if you want to do like interrogations in a movie in a crime movie (laughs) and you want to really layer in some novelistic elements of a crime movie or something like that you've got to be unafraid to let the story demand that you do hard edit, hard edit, hard edit, hard edit, like play. Mm-hmm. If you think something's boring, maybe it's the film language, you know, cause the yeah. 
some of this could be dead boring listening to, but it's the most compelling 16 minutes of movies in the 90s, well, basically. Think about how many times you've watched an exposition scene that doesn't have a score underneath it or that is just cut, you know, over the shoulder, cut to over the shoulder, you know, and, and there's no emotion to it. There's no, uh, you know, I'm just, I have to transfer this information. So that's what's going to happen, you know? Yeah. And, you know, there are tricks you learn when you do enough of those uh, scenes to help a little but you know, this is, this is on a different level. This yeah. is, um, it's a, what, I don't know how long. Yeah, seven 16, it, no, it's like 16 minutes. Well, there you go. That's, that's even more to the point is it <laughs> feels like seven is 16 minute exposition dump. Um, you know, <laughs> about uh, the state of the world and the United States in it. David Mamet and his famous uh, memo on TV writing says, anytime two characters are talking about a third for the scene, it's a crock of shit, um, <laughs> which is often true, but not in this case. No. Um, in this case, it, you know, it, because it feels like, um, you know, the unlocking of the world and, and, you know, you're literally having the veil lifted on you and, and, and it throws so many details, some of which are ludicrous. The whole idea that like, they fed the newspaper stories to a New Zealand newspaper to have the story up yeah. on, on Lee Harvey. Well. I was like, I bet somebody was confused about the time difference Yeah, and read that. Like, that's gotta be the answer to that. But like, you know, all of these questions thrown up and, and all of these things that are, are, you know, it gets again to the, to the place of, you know, LBJ green lighting the assassination is, is I will say a thing I have a very hard time swallowing. Um, it just, really like I, anyway but that's not a point but it but by the time you get there by minute 16 of this thing you're like yep yeah that's what could, happened but, but but also it's like um we literally saw it with george w bush jr uh mm. of like uh he's a guy who at the face of this presidency even though he you know was responsible for greenlighting x amount of genocide you know, whatever the the mm. quotient is, I'm not exactly sure to be specific, but awful nonetheless. But it's like, was that guy really running shit? Mm -hmm. And you're like, no. And was LBJ really running shit? Probably not. <laughs> probably, yeah. probably. I think that's closer to my feeling of it is, is uh, you know, it's, first of all, why would you tell him? Yeah, why would he you doesn't tell need to LBJ? know. He doesn't need to know that. Like, um, and, you know, this even is the guy who talks to people from the shitter. Yeah. Yes. He doesn't need to be told anything. No, no. He's making phone calls to tailors about <laughs> he needs extra room in the crotch because of how, have you ever heard that? No, no there is a, there's a taped conversation of LBJ ordering pants from a tailor and talking about how he really needs, apparently he's incredibly well endowed and, and is very explicit when he tells the tailor about how he needs his pants to fit. Um, uh, miraculous. Uh, what, what a, what a great look. I've, I'm going to have to wrap it up there because I feel like we're going to go on for hours and hours and I, uh, I don't want to keep too much of your time, but thank you so much for indulging me with truth aside about JFK, because I feel like that's what it is. And I feel like anyone do yourself a favor just to purely just study the cinematic language. And I loved Jordan's like resplendent, gorgeous list of like every conceivable <laughs> film technique that's in this movie. And I do feel that that one, you know, just give us the Kevin Bacon scene in 3D in the next cut. And then we've got, it's done. You've, we're ticked, done. It off, you've ticked it off the list. Like every conceivable film technique of the last hundred years is in this movie. Other than, you know, what he doesn't do and, and, and not to keep going long, but uh, there's no animation. Yeah. There? Oh, that's one last thing. No, I don't think. Because he animation. gets that when he kind of tries to top himself with natural born killers a couple years yes. later. Yes. He does get animation into that one. Yeah. So, so that was, go. that was it. There you go. Jordan, you're the best. Thank you so much for doing this with me. I appreciate it. And this has actually satiated me wanting to talk about JFK. So I appreciate you for doing this. Anytime, man. literally any, any, anytime, any movie. <laughs> Thank you.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. 